Hello, and welcome to the Turn by Turn podcast. Uh, we are actually between our season one and our season two, but uh, Alex and I got a unique opportunity to talk with the game creators of the game Quartet, which is a JRPG that's um, in the process of being kickstarted right now. So the folks at 6.5 were nice enough to let us have a bonus episode in between seasons. So uh, the following is our interview with Pat and Tyler, which are two members of the dev, dev team, and we're really excited to share it with you. Um, for any new listeners, uh, please check out our backlog of season one episodes. We've talked some Pokemon, some Fire Emblem, some Golden Sun. We've gotten into some different game dev topics. Um, yeah, uh, if you're new, thank you so much for giving us a chance, and we hope that you stick around to see we have a lot of stuff set up for season two and we're really excited to share it with you guys. So enjoy the interview. Pat and Tyler, what is going on? Hey everybody. Um, not much. Happy to be here. Thanks. Great. Thanks for coming on. So uh, you guys are the creators of Quartet uh, and uh, tell us a little about yourselves. Sure. My name's Tyler Meir. I'm a, primarily a composer and musician by trade. And uh, about eight years ago, I started a little studio with some old buddies of mine called Something Classic, and we make retro turn-based JRPGs. Our current game, Quartet, is uh, on Kickstarter, and we're developing that through the next year or two. Um, I'm Pat Holloman. Um, I'm the author of the Reverse Design series, which is a set of six books. Um, analyzing classic video games academically with a lot of data-driven stuff and uh, including three JRPGs, um, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, and Final Fantasy VII, which is how I met Tyler when he read uh, the Chrono Trigger book. And then um, after they produced Shadows of Adam, uh, Tyler and I got started on a new game, um, and that was Quartet, and we've been working on that since the end of 2017. Um, trying to apply all of that academic JRPG knowledge to a project um, I'm a full-time game dev, actually, but uh, not not on this game. Uh, this is just sort of our, our passion project on the side of the, the kind of game that we've always wanted to make, which is a uh, you know uh, golden age style JRPG, uh, character story driven, um, not too crunchy and and not too long. It's a game for people who have jobs and can't play forty to sixty hours anymore because the, the, you know they have mortgages and and kids and 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 errands to do. Mm-hmm. So, are there other people involved in the project, or is it primarily you two? Yeah, uh, the the team for Quartet is uh, five people: uh, me and Pat, um, and then our two programmers, uh, Peter and Ty Darren. Um, both great, excellent programmers, some of the best in the business. And then our art director, Tim Windorf. Uh, he uh, is a wonderful pixel artist, and he kind of supervises a couple of pixel artists under him. Um, uh, so yeah, five of us, and then uh, you know we have a lot of outside collaborators and uh, contractors we work with as well, but primarily just us five. Mm-hmm. So you're obviously game designers already. Um, what made you want to keep going with your own game on the side, on top of all the other games that you're working on? Well, um, one thing I'll tell you is that when you work on somebody else's game. A lot of your creative decisions get rolled back. Um, you really in you really have to paint inside the lines, um, and that's true if you want to succeed in any game. You can't you can't just do whatever you want. That's 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 very much a hobbyist thing to do. Is to I'm going to make whatever game I want, do whatever I feel like. 
That could be a good outlet, but it's hard for other people to play that sort of game. But when you're working for somebody else for a paycheck, um, which is what I do full time, they, you know, they have a lot of lines that you need to be inside of, um, do a lot of, uh, meet a lot of goals that they have. And a lot of times those goals change over, over time and you can, um, you can accomplish a creative goal that they set out for you. And then the next you know, a month, a few months later or a year later, those creative goals are reversed and you have to redo a lot of that stuff because, you know, it's just the commercial part of the business. No complaint in terms of as far as jobs go, it's the best job I've ever had being a full-time game dev. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it's not the place that can be your true creative outlet. It's, it's something you do as a creative person. Um, and I'm glad to be able to do that full-time and I, I do get a lot of satisfaction out of it, but if I want to make the piece of art that I want to make that I envision, it's going to have to be on my own dime. Mm-hmm. So this game is obviously called Quartet for all the, the listeners that missed it the first time around. So uh, what's like the elevator pitch or like two minute summary of Quartet? Sure. So Quartet is a JRPG for people with jobs and responsibilities. It's a nice 20 hour game with no grinding, saving anywhere, et cetera, all the modern convenience features that might make the game a little snappier. The basic plot premise is that it kind of opens up like a Wild Arms 3 where you can, you could select between four chapters in any order. So a nonlinear intro where there's four characters and you select their stories. And then once all those stories are completed, the, the, the storylines sort of converge into one grand like FF6 style plot. So that's the short, long and short of it um, for Quartet. Mm-hmm. So something that stuck out to me was um, actually not nothing specifically about the game, which I'll get to that later. But the immediate thing that stuck out to me is I am a Mac user. I don't mm-hmm. have a PC. So all the other developers I've spoken to don't have Mac versions yet, but you guys have a Mac version. So I was actually able to play your demo, <laughs> which like seems like something fairly small. But like it was actually very cool to actually be able to play one of the games because you guys. If, if you had a friend with Linux, he could have played it too, because <laughs> our programmers are just that hardcore. Yeah, you know, uh, Mac is can be infamously hard to develop for sometimes. But yeah, I think uh, this build wasn't especially challenging, and so yeah, we were happy to kind of make it as available as widely as possible. I'm a Mac guy too. I'm actually on a Mac right now, so. I could say too what stuck out to me it was that uh, when you're loading into a demo for an unfinished game a lot of the times you have no idea what quality level you're going to be looking at but the second I dropped in um, the all the art looks really crisp and clean and nice and I took like two steps forward and I think it was a uh, like bassoon started playing and I used to play that uh, a lot but I, the soundtrack just sounded so finished and nice so my wife's instruments over there ah, not, I a bas- see. not a bassoon but bass clarinet plus enough mm. <laughs> yeah i kind of still get those two confused sometimes but the uh <laughs> yeah the soundtrack just started playing and i was like wow like somebody worked really hard on this okay, and that. it sounded great he did work really hard and he never lets us forget it <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate I think- that, yeah I think the thing that stuck out to me immediately was the on the demo was all the characters have very specific voices. There's a lot of like personality on this on this team. Um, do you want to talk a little about the characters? 
Yeah, sure. So when we were creating the game, um, Tyler had worked on a JRPG, or he, he worked on a lot of RPG Maker games as a young man, um, which is a fad that I missed, sadly, because um, that would have been absolutely my jam, but I didn't know anybody who had ever used it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so he had this, this old uh, JR, you know, old, old RPG Maker game um, called Channel Changer that he, you know, he made partially made as one does with RPG maker games. You make about one third of it and then you get a new idea and move on to that. Um, but you know, the, the idea was he, he had worked on it. And it's like, there was like, you could play a, a RPG and then you would like change the channel and you'd be in a different genre. So you'd have like, there'd be like four parallel realities where you would change the channel between um, your Western post-apocalypse comedy and real life. Um, those were like the four ideas, uh, that he had. And he was like, well, what if we made a game, but like a serious version of this? Cause that was like sort of a joke game. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so I was like, okay, so what can we do with this concept of four different stories and four different uh, genres of story? And I wanted to stick to, you know, the constraints <coughs> constraints were a really big part of this project, which is like, let's set our constraints before we begin so that we keep our scope in check, check and we eliminate a lot of possibilities and don't sort of examine our navels for too long. And uh, so I was like, okay, we'll do a Western and we'll do a post-apocalypse and we'll do a, a comedy. We'll do something similar to real life. Um, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't stick to those a hundred percent. But um, Cordelia, the, the, the water maid, she's the, your traditional attack maid. She is in a Western story. She's from the big city. She goes out West um, East in her case, but that's how her world works. But she goes out to something that looks very much like the old West with cowboys and robbers and <coughs> train robberies and things like that. And, uh, she, she tries to make a name for herself, you know, um, bringing law to this lawless town. And, uh, she is, um, this actually really sort of bookish, um, introverted and, and very task and, and rule bound person, uh, who tries to bring, but you know, that fits to the whole law premise in, in a, in a non-traditional way. She's not a macho swaggerer, but she is very much about laws and laws and rules. And so she goes out to the frontier to tame it. She's like going, she like will literally roll, rattle off um, various citations from, from the legal codes when she does things to say, yeah, I have the power to do this because I am the highest ranking civil servant here. So I can do X, Y, and C and you're all under arrest. Uh, so it's, it's sort of a non-traditional application of the, the law man in the West. Um, but that, that is this, you know, the sort of Western story that she's, she's living through. Um, then we have a more typical, um, character, Nikolai, uh, who is a sergeant in an ar- the Auslan army, the, the army of the Auslan empire. And he's more your typical JRPG guy in that, you know, he's a soldier. He goes into essentially this post-apocalyptic landscape, a, a country that's essentially been burned to nothing. It's not the end of the world, but it's definitely the end of that country. And uh, he is assigned to do things to the, you know, to and, and around the survivors of this war that he's not comfortable with. And um, and again, like I said, very JRPG, but uh, that drives his conflict and what happens to him in the game. Um, but he's like being a sergeant. He's very uh, outspoken, extroverted and task oriented. So he is what you imagine a sergeant to be. Um, maybe not quite a hard ass, you know, like your typical drill sergeant, but like or like a working sergeant in the field who's like, we have a job to do. We are going to do our job. I am not interested in a lot of complaints. We, we, we need to figure out a way to get this done. Um, but then again, at the same time, you know, why am I doing this? Like, I, I'm really good at getting things done, but like the things I'm, I have to get done are like, are they worth doing? 
Like what, what, you know, what's my role in this? Um, so that's his, that's his struggle. Um, then we have the comedy story, um, which is Ben the cook. Um, ben is a, a, a kind of a slightly portly cook who is very irreverent and lives a very ordinary life in a modern city. And so one day he accidentally manifests tremendous magical power as one does when one is a JRPG protagonist. And uh, he accidentally blows up his restaurant. And uh, that's a problem. He's now unemployed. Um, doesn't hurt anybody in the process, but he's completely unemployed. And uh, he has, he's like, well, nobody will hire me to be a cook because I think I might blow up the restaurant just like I did already. So I'm going to have to be like a hero now. I'm going to have to go around earning my rent money as a hero. And uh, so he, he, Gets, gets involved in a series of misadventures for, for, for earning his rent money where he's trying to use this magic and he doesn't really know how to control it. He slowly learns how to control it, but um, as he's learning to control his magic, he also starts to learn how um, his world works because he's never really been involved with uh, sort of a, you know, the, the, the more meaningful processes of like, how does magic work in a society? What are the laws governing it? Who are the people that make the law and actually apply it? Because if you have people who can suddenly just become mighty wizards all of a, all of a sudden, you know, society needs to have a mechanism for dealing with that. And as he discovers what that mechanism is, he, he learns sort of um, some of the unsettling things about uh, how a society could function if, if anyone could get magic at any time. Um, and uh, he, he, that's, he sort of discovers that things are much more serious for him than he imagined. But it is still a, a very much a lighthearted and comedic um, story. And then the last story is um, Alexandra, the shop girl, She's like uh, just a, a kind of handy uh, shop girl who runs her family's corner store in uh, a modern city where people think magic doesn't exist anymore. Um, all three other stories are really about magic. Uh, and the people in those countries, they, they all take place in different countries. Um, and all the other three stories are like, well, we, I'm going to use my magic to do this. And oh, people are abusing magic over here. And this war is about magic and the laws are about magic and all that magic is everything. But in Alexandra's country, people think of magic stopped existing a long time ago. And um, they think, you know, some more educated people think, oh, well, we know that some magic still exists, like wild animals in distant parts of the world are able to use magic, but human beings stopped being able to use magic, at least in our country, a very long time ago. And we've moved on to technology from there. And so it's, uh, her, her world is, you know, her, her, her country and her city are, are very much, um, Something like the mod, our, our world w was in the late 1950s or early 1960s. Uh, so it's like, you know, refrigeration and, and telecommunication are starting to starting to become widespread. Uh, there's mass transit and, and manufacturing and all of those things. And um, but her person, Alexandra, finds herself in a situation where her mother, the, the owner of the family store, falls into a coma suddenly. And in order to pay for the bills to take care of her. Alexandra has to um, work with her brother, who's sort of a small time gangster, and they're just ripping off other gangs warehouses for money. Um, she's not thrilled with it, but it's the only way that she can make ends meet for her dad and, and, and pay for her mother's 24-7 um, care. So um, she finds herself in some increasingly sticky situations with this sort of gang underworld of her of her city. And, and, then, and then on one of these um, jobs, she discovers a magical deck of cards. Um, that sort of starts to show her another world that most people think doesn't exist. And she also starts to be haunted by a ghost who seems to really want something from her, um, something that, you know, something very dangerous and uh, something that may, may threaten her life. So um, she is not really sure what's going on because, again, she doesn't think she lives in a world with magic, but then magical things start to happen to her and she has to 
sort of figure out how to deal with that and and who 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 can who she can ally with to um protect her from this this whole world she knew nothing about okay awesome and then so another thing that really stuck out about your game is it's so clean looking like all the menus are very organized I immediately knew exactly how to like equip items. Like everything was straightforward. I loved that there was the, the turn order on the right side. I loved the ability to like swap out the characters in and out. I loved that uh, when you have characters like quote unquote on the bench, they still gain level. So if you want to like switch in and out, you can do that without ending up with really low level characters that basically become unusable. Related to that switching, too, I, I really like how that's implemented in your game because it's uh, when you have eight party members that you're trying to keep track of all simultaneously, things can get very overwhelming very quickly. It's a lot of data to intake and then manage. But uh, the way that it's implemented doesn't feel too complicated. Um, it's really easy to keep track of everybody's health, their mana. Um, and I really like the mana system, too, that I'm not having to constantly worry about expending mana. It's, it's made to be spent, because I've definitely played some RPGs where it's like, hmm, you know, you have 100 mana, and this takes 45% of it. And I'm like, ah, oh, gotcha, so never use that? Mm, never. Well, I'll never use that then. <laughs> but you guys really incentivize using uh, big skills and then just rotating your party members to uh, accommodate that. It's great to hear you say that because that's literally like our design goals, like per verbatim. Uh, yeah, the, the AP system was actually worked on in our last RPG, Shadows of Adam, and we brought it to this game. The regeneration that you get every turn is a little bit less than it was in SOA because in SOA you had four characters and that was it. But yeah, it was very much um, kind not fic- I wouldn't call this a quote-unquote problem because every game is just designed for different experiences, but there's a lot of hoarding mana in older RPGs, and we wanted you to just sort of be able to rock and roll at all times. And in designing skills that were interesting and qualitatively different and, and fun to use, and uh, with the eight characters, especially with the bench, as you called it, which is a great term for it, um, they're actually rega- regaining more AP in the back. That's sort of like a hidden buff they get. Um, so yeah, the idea was that, yeah, you shouldn't have to hoard your mana. You should be able to always be able to use skills and with swapping, especially there's always going to be someone in the back who's fresh, ready to go. And I wanted that to feel fun. And, um, so I'm just really happy to hear you say that. Um, it's, uh, it's a tough that thing to balance for sure. Cause, um, you know, some skills do need to cost more than others, but, uh, yeah, nothing should be like prohibitively expensive to where you're like, I ain't going to use this until the boss, like, no, use it for everything. Cause as you, as playthrough quartet, just basic attacking is going to get less and less effective to a point where, like, maybe by the midway, three fourths away, it's like if you're attacking, you're probably going to die. Like, because in a lot of Final Fantasies, you could you could spam attack. You know, I love Final Fantasy games, but I would say I don't know if that's a flaw. That's just what the games were. So that's why we price the skills the way we did. That's why we have the AP re- region system we do to hopefully encourage people. Like, hey, I don't need to hoard my money. I can use spells. And so, yeah, it also, I, I liked the, some of the things that I didn't have to do. Like when, uh, I see that experience screen and everybody levels up together. I'm like, <laughs> I really hope I don't have to go assign stats to eight characters. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I don't think game. I had to. Um, and then there was one other thing, uh, that I, I was thinking about that. 
now I can't remember, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every game is different. And, uh, you know, our, we, we were like Pat had mentioned, like we had a lot of pre-production, a lot of like constraints we placed on the story and gameplay and our artistic goals for what the game was going to be. And we really try to honor those and use those as kind of guiding principles of every decision sort of works to those aims. And it was really like um, supposed to be a game that could be fast paced, played in small chunks and uh, had some, you know, like games that have like complicated skill trees and assigning sets. I love games like that. Uh, I love FF10. I love, there was a game RFL that had an interesting stat assign skill uh, system that was pretty interesting, but that's just not the game we're making. Um, and also to your point about uh, heroes in the back row still gaining experience. I mean, who hasn't played FF10 and gotten to that infamous Kamari battle? And you're like, oh shit, I haven't used Kamari once the whole game. And you just can't beat that damn boss. Uh, I've, I haven't played that one, but we, one we've talked about on uh, one of our other episodes was um, Lord of the Rings, the third age. Mm-hmm. And there's a character that's uh, it's a great RPG, but there's a character named Idriel in that, that and your entire party does not gain experience if you're not using them. Mm-hmm. But she gets uh, abducted at one point by like a ring wraith and then has to fight a group of orcs by herself and they're at the level that is appropriate for where you are. And so if you've not used her very much, you are soft locked and may not finish the game. Yeah. That's, that blows my mind that like, just hearing you say that scenario, like my red radar is saying soft lock, soft lock, soft lock. (laughs) Like you have to think, I mean, look, game development's hard. I'm not going to say these developers are bad, but like when I hear those things that my, like all my sirens are going off. (laughs) Like, oh my God, we have to make sure you can't get softlocked here. Because that could be an unwinnable situation. Oh, I think, I think it, it really, was. It's really, it's a lot safer to take someone away than to force you to use them. It's really the opposite thing. It's like, okay, we're going to take your best character away and you're going to be in the game with, you know, somebody, you know, you have to find somebody else to use for the next three hours. That's more manageable. It still can be annoying, but it is more manageable than be like, the character you never used, we're going to force you to use them for three hours. It's like, oh boy. Like, right. Like, at, at least give, give me a crutch. Me a, yeah, I was going to say, at least give me a way to grind it and make sure that it is, in the end, winnable. <laughs> yeah. I, I like when developers force me to do new things because I frequently discover, it's like, oh, this is actually quite nice and I've learned something new about this game. And my appreciation is deepened. But um, I, I don't, like, it's, it's tough when they force you to use those new things without being able to rely at least partially on other skills or, or what have you. It's like, I don't want to be playing two different games. I want to play one game that takes me on a nice tour of all of its features, but not, not just like all of a sudden, okay, now you better learn how to play Zerg because the Protoss are off limits. Yeah, and it sucks when you're punished for information you didn't have. Like, you didn't know that was going to happen, so, like... It's one thing to say, like, hey, just try this. We'll kind of ease you into it. It's another thing. It's like, oh, you didn't use that person? Well, sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered, uh, too, the other quality of life thing I really liked about your game was, uh, and this seems, again, like another no-brainer, but I've played a lot of games where it wasn't that way. Um, I liked a lot of the puzzle solving, but then the plot requires you, once you've finished that room, you then have to later go through it the opposite way. And I, in my head, I was like, am I going to have to solve all these puzzles backwards now? And no, they're just deactivated and you can just walk through. <laughs> yeah, I remember that was, uh, I'm going to call that a Tyler special. I was just like, Pat, we just. We're just I didn't even argue. I, I was fine with that. I was like, we're just going to disable all the puzzles. 
just write it into the plot if you want. Kronos can say, hey, I just, by the way, I disabled all the puzzles. <laughs> I mean, are there are certain conventions where we just like, this is a game. People know it's a game. They're not, they're, they're not seduced into thinking that this is not a game. So when <laughs> you have game elements, you can just do things that are gamey. Yeah, and as long as it's like, not too obtrusive, like as long as you kind of make an effort to get it into the plot, which I feel like we do, then people will not complain. <laughs> yeah, we should have a laser section. That's like always the most video gaming thing ever, where you have to like <laughs> like lasers that that shoot and then they stop and you have to run in the corridor. Yeah, exactly. And that's it's, like it's, the most video game. It never is justified in plot. It's but it's like, set in set in like the year seventeen fifty. You know, somehow <laughs> there's lasers. Yeah, that, and then it's like, all right, so this is somebody's base. Like, maybe it's the villain's base. It's like, do they do this every time to, to get yeah, in? Exactly. <laughs> like, why are spikes like, randomly coming out the floor? Xenosaga 2 was the worst defender for me on that one, where it's like you get into the Ormus ship and you have these, like, giant, gigantic, brightly colored puzzles. And it's just like, the pe- people work here. <laughs> like, this is where they work and live. This is like a colony ship. Why do they have these incredibly large, elaborate puzzles in their home? <laughs> to make sure they did the trainings. <laughs> yeah, so when they, the company onboarding is like the manuals upon manuals. So this is how you activate, uh, you activate the spikes. This is how you dodge the lasers. And if you don't do it, you know, you learn pretty quickly who didn't read the manual. Did the like, at least ancient ruins have some justification, but this is like somebody's house. Come on. Well, I just always get annoyed when like you have to go through the dungeon and do all the puzzles, but somehow the villain beat you. Like, did they not deactivate all the puzzles? Did they reactivate it as they deactivate it? Like, oh, shit, I got through this. Oh, let me deactivate it or reactivate it so the heroes have to go through it. How does Gary beat the Elite Four before you do? That's what I yeah. want to know. And why, did, why didn't they attack you while you're in the middle of the spikes? They're just waiting for you at the end. They're like, no, I want to see if you, could, if you could do the book trick. But anyway, Saturday morning cliches. Oh, my God. See, so you guys talk a lot about like Final Fantasy and stuff. Uh, is that like a really big inspiration for Quartet? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Final. It's like I, this game is sort of like if Final Fantasy VI was made in the modern era with quality of life features and um, a shorter campaign for adults and slightly more mature subject matter. Not that. Not that Final Fantasy VI is particularly juvenile. I would actually think it's one of the more serious Final Fantasies overall. But um, yeah, it's, it's more aimed at people who played Final Fantasy VI when they were kids. If they wanted to play something like it now, this would be the thing. It's funny because just the other day we were talking with another friend of the podcast, uh, Shane, and he was saying that when he goes to play games now, he's always looking at like what the duration is for completion times. And that helps him determine like, wh- like what games he puts on his lists. Exactly. I mean, even even YouTubers don't have unlimited amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the one I always cite as my one that was just too much for me was Xenoblade Chronicles Two. Oh my god, dude! Like Damn. I played, I played maybe thirty or forty hours of that, and then decided like I, I was like, I don't feel like I'm making any progress. So I just Googled how long are just the cutscenes in this game all added together. Like it was like 14 hours of yeah. cutscenes or something, or maybe even longer than that. I was just thinking, I am never going to finish this. And that's not a bad thing either. Like, I definitely appreciate really long games and really long stories and things that take their time. But not also, not everything needs to be that. <laughs> I mean, 14 hours is a season of television. Right. Yeah. That's like, if you think about it, like, you know, like, like even that's like a season of broadcast television, too. 
Cause like, you know, like 28 episodes, 28 episodes of, of 24 minutes of content is yeah. It was like, that's easily there. So it's like, that's crazy. I mean, you better have a good plot and better be compelling. And, and they um, do. I mean, I, <laughs> they take, they take their time getting there. I couldn't, yes. I couldn't make it through it either. I think. They, uh, Xenoblade. Yeah. Xenoblade too. It was just like, all right, can we have some stakes? Can we accelerate this maybe a little bit? Yeah. I got 60 hours in and I was just toast. Like I can't do any more of this. <laughs> I was just, All right, I'm glad I'm, I'm not out. alone. I'm out. No, I, 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 uh, I have the same problem. I, I, I yeah, I don't want to get into a rant about the Xenoblade Chronicles too. But didn't love the game. Sorry if anyone listening is a fan. That's cool. You do you. Mm-hmm. Some people are like made for those like long, like long 300 hour plus games. I mean, I beat Persona Five. I beat Persona Five and then Dragon Quest Eleven back to back. So I've definitely played long games. But that was before my son was born. So. No, if I wanted to beat Persona Five now, it'd probably take me four years. I mean, <laughs> you think I'm joking? I've been trying to beat Trails in the Sky. It's been taking. It's been two years since I started the game. I'm still not done. But I also hate that game too. So <laughs> I play about thirty minutes, and then I'm like, I can't do anymore. Are you, but I'm going to beat it. Uh, are you super into the like Trails series? Is no, that the? No. Uh, so our programmer Peter, he's huge Trails culture fan, and it's actually great because Pat and I are big Final Fantasy SquareSoft golden age guys and uh you know i i branched out you know grandia a little bit of breath fire but you know mostly final fantasy was my jam but it's nice to have pete on the team because he brings a perspective about i mean he's literally played every jrpg ever made it's crazy but he's got a good perspective on some of those games that i don't or pat doesn't and it's helpful to hear that even if i don't particularly love the trails games that i played um it's always helpful just to consider things because you know it can only make you a better developer i think Mm-hmm. So obviously you guys are in like the middle, middle lower lower end of your Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you guys have like an anticipated release date? Is it entirely based on the Kickstarter, like the success of that? Um, I mean, having I mean having a, if people want to give us a lot more money, then yeah, we'll probably hire more people. Absolutely, uh, we will just do we will spend it all on the game. None of <laughs> us is getting none of us is getting a nose job. Um, from from this Kickstarter, you could probably um, use one though. I think. Yeah, absolutely. This thing, uh, I can open doors with it and also not breathe. It's amazing, um, <laughs> Ireland. Um, but uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's probably late twenty twenty two, like t- towards like maybe like November or December. Um, at least be in beta by then. Yeah, yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a pretty robust beta at that point, which um, you can play if you're a backer. Um, that's something we have open. We, we have set aside, we want to do like three months of beta because we want people to be able to play it and give us feedback and, and we want to release the best possible product. So if that, if the beta drags out the development process, that's good. If something else does, that's what we're, we're trying to avoid that. We're trying to not get too stuck on anything. I mean, the game is actually 90% programmed because all the, you know, in order to create a, a demo for a JRPG, you have to have all the systems working, like all that nice clean UI. That was all our, our pixel artist, Tim, and our programmer, Peter, um, having a bunch of conversations where Tyler and I didn't understand anything that they were saying about like prefabs and unity and, and like alignments and all this stuff and transparencies. And, and like, I just like had no idea what they were talking about, but they spent like a, a solid month just making that stuff line up. And that's great because Tim is, of course, a professional artist full time. And Peter is just like the pixel whisperer. He can just tell when alignments are off by one pixel. Like I literally can't. 
and my visual acuity will not tell me that information. So um, that's the sort of thing that, that we spent time on already. And that's done. It's out of the way. Like we don't have to do that again. Thank God. Um, so we're just going to make content. Yeah. And making content is actually quite easy because we spent a long time pre-production making systems and building tools that will make it very easy to make content. It is, however, expensive. Right. Art is expensive. The art. Yeah. The art, our artists are really good. That's why the game looks good. But they command high wages as a result of that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, what platforms are you guys hoping to release on? So I'll take this question. So obviously we'll be on uh, Windows, Mac, Linux. So console ports is something we really want to do. And it's currently a stretch goal for Kickstarter because just to to offer a console keys as a reward of your pledge to our Kickstarter, it requires us to buy keys directly from the publishers. And so I, I think just talking about it might kind of shed a little bit of the um, mystery behind it. Um, I imagine regardless of whether we hit certain console stretch goals that we will probably eventually hit those stretch goals. We just couldn't offer it as a said reward for your pledge, but I'm feeling pretty confident. We're very close to hitting our funding goal. I'm feeling like we're going to hit that surge at the end, knock on wood, and uh, we're going to have hit our, at least our switch. But yeah, we'd love to get the switch and PS4 other consoles um, to be determined. Um, our, my previous game, Shadows of Adam, is on, was on Steam, came out in 2017, and basically came out two years later on Switch. And so at half the time, doubled, basically, not doubled, um, yeah, almost like uh, matched the sales that we had on PC that we had on Switch. So my point being is that Switch is super hot for RPGs, mm-hmm. and PlayStation does pretty well for us, too. So yeah, we'd love to get console ports. But if you want to pledge and help us get there early and get a copy for your pledge, then we got to hit those stretch goals. Because yeah, those, Nintendo those is keys aren't cheap. Nintendo is like, yeah, you got to pay us our cut of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to buy five. If you know, say we had eight hundred Kickstarter backers, and five hundred of them want a Switch key, which that might actually be about the number it is. Because you know, we have a choice. You know, then we have to buy five hundred keys from Nintendo, and that, that costs a little bit of money. And so we budgeted our our goal to be: what do we need to get all the art and sound we need done to make this game? And then we had to add a little extra for the stretch. Say, okay, how much would we need if if we got the console goal to offer keys for people to buy them from Nintendo or Sony? So, but yeah, that's basically the long and short of it. I hope that makes sense to everyone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't know that developers had to buy had to buy keys. I thought that you guys could generate those or something. Well, you can't for Steam. Yeah, for Steam is nice. Gabe Gabe Newell doesn't need our money. <laughs> that's right. that's true. Steam is actually um, one of the best platforms. Like, uh, I, I, I really like Steam as a platform. It's very easy to get builds up. It's very easy to make patches. It's very difficult to get on to get patches on Switch and, and Sony. It's just just the bureaucracy and the, and the layers to it. And even just to develop for the Switch without a publisher is, is challenging. Mm-hmm. But um, but like uh, you know, you put something on Steam and there's a bug, you can get a patch out in 30 minutes. Easy. Get out. Get a patch out on Nintendo Switch. You could be looking at a week, two, three, it just depends. So. You better pray it's not Golden Week. Oh my Japan. God. One day I'll tell you all that story. It was, uh, it was not I, a Golden Week for me. It's like, 10, it's like 10 solid days of like a Japanese person will not respond to you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a story for another day. Another podcast, <laughs> maybe. Uh, when, when do you think people like, let's say on Steam, do you know when you'd expect to maybe have a demo up there? Or maybe you already do. I'm not sure. Um, it's a great question, actually. I'm, I'm not sure we put a lot of thought into it. 
Um, I mean, we will have different um, layers of demos. Like we want to have a demo that's mostly the introductory chapters that you can choose from. And um, then obviously we want to have an alpha and a beta. That'll be really important for testing. There's a way to get access to that through the Kickstarter. And uh, as far as a public facing demo, I'm not sure. Um, this like kind of data that's just different levels of how good a demo can do for you. If it's smart to put a demo out, how long you should put a demo out. So that's just stuff we have to review. Um, for people who join our Discord, we'll probably always share little builds with folks if uh, as we can, or at least shots. But I would say probably no major demo releases that will be public. I mean, yeah, the one we have is, is probably going to stand, and then we're probably going to we're going to probably retract that demo um, not too long after the Kickstarter. I mean, people can still play it now for free. Mm -hmm. There's no commitment to play it, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, some of the, the the preliminary data about demos for indie says that like you shouldn't don't overexpose and don't leave your demo up forever. Um, mm -hmm. We don't know why that causes risks for games, but it does, and you know, we want to preserve a little bit of the mystery and. Um, but although unless you're a beta backer, in which case you can play yeah. all of the content as soon yeah. as it's ready. Yeah, we're gonna have a pretty robust beta. I mean, for our last title, we had beta for at least three, four months, and it was very, very helpful. It's just, you know, as developers, you can't anticipate all the ways your players are gonna play your game. Sometimes you get tunnel vision. I know, and I mean I probably played that demo area that we released about a hundred times. And so you just start kind of like unable to see other ways to play the game. And it wasn't until like I brought it to a conference in DC area and I just watched about a hundred people play the game. And I was like, Oh yeah, you could do that. I didn't even think about that. Like it's really helpful and uh, watching streamers and people have done uh, videos of the demo on YouTube. Like that's very helpful. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely have a robust beta and uh, that'll be something I hope people want to support us with. Definitely. I know I'm pretty excited to play more after the, I, I thought it was a cliffhanger. Not everyone might, but I was pretty excited to keep going when, when the demo ended, I was disappointed. So I'm definitely excited to continue. continue we absolutely want to leave you wanting more. So uh, sorry, but not sorry. Now that's, that's the art. That's the mark of a good show. In my opinion, I used yeah. to, I, was, I played in a band once and in my opinion, they did too much encores. I always thought like my philosophy is like leave people wanting a little bit more. Don't leave them feeling exhausted. I guess if I guess maybe there's a place to make people so exhausted that they don't want to like consume your art anymore. And like just always leave a little bit of room for something more. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. The the Nikolai uh getting the book was particularly annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that'll pay off. There, there, there's a big arc there. Um that'll pay off in a big way. But he got the official he got the official quartet player's guide. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he's picked up. He's like, ah, I didn't know this boss had a weakness to sleep. <laughs> it's like, damn it, this boss is strong against fire. Swap me out. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> so uh, we can wrap it up here. Is there any uh, final last minute thoughts to give the listeners? Um, uh, I actually have one more thing that I think we should do too is um, if our listeners are listening after your kickstarter has ended um what is the best way for them to support you uh that's a great question um we have a pretty active twitter account it's uh something classic but it's uh c-l-a-s-s-c -S 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 no i 
or our Discord server, which we're, all the developers are really active in. And we have like a really wonderful community. I say this all the time, but I truly mean it. It's like a really great community of uh, independent developers, programmers, artists, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just discord.gg slash something classic with an with a I. Um, those are the best place to find us, Twitter or Discord. And uh, I, seriously, if you're interested in game development, please join our Discord. We, I get such a joy out of helping other developers because I want everyone to succeed. I want everyone to meet people who have created passion. I mean, that's how I started my game development journey was in the RPG maker community, just hanging out with buddies, like making terrible games together. That's how you learn. And that community is so important, that network. So please join our Discord if you have any interest. If you just want to talk about Quartet or whatever, and you don't want to, you're not a game maker, that's cool too. You can just hang out. But that's those two places, yeah. And you know, I, you could just keep PayPaling me money if you want. My mind. Yeah, money. it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it will go towards the development of the game one way or another. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, um, any final thoughts? Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say you know if if you if you were looking for a game that was like the SNES and early PS One era JRPGs, uh, Quartet is going is is supposed to be taking that that species of game into the modern era. I mean, we are one of many that do that, but uh, um, we don't we're not pioneering anything here. But uh, we're just trying to do something like that and do it really well and uh, show that it's still a viable art form. Um, but uh, and, and if that's your jam, then you'll like it. Um, it's not. It's not necessarily going to be a game for absolutely everybody. It's definitely a game for JRPG enthusiasts. Um, but if that's your thing, then you should check it out. Yeah, and if you have any reservations, please, please try our demo out. Yeah, it's try the demo for anyone to play. And thirty, uh, forty minutes. Yeah, and uh, if it makes anyone feel better, we've done a Kickstarter before. We've we've released the game before, so like we have a little bit of a pedigree as far as getting stuff done, releasing products in the market, and. Uh, but yeah, please try the demo, and we'd love to hear what you think. And yep. uh, this was a great, this was a great podcast. Appreciate thanks, guys. Questions. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, maybe once the game's finally out, we'll have a full episode where I finally get to talk about whatever that Nikolai's doing with that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, there are no, there are no setups that don't pay off. That's one of the things I was committed to, and Tyler whipped me about. Yeah, this guy ain't no J.J. Abrams. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's build up to nothing. <laughs> I've got some feelings there. I'm gonna and I'm gonna make a sequel to Quartet. And I'm just gonna retcon everything Pat sets up. <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> it wasn't a quartet. It was a quintet. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like it from uh, the ghost that's haunting. Uh, that I think it was Andrea. You said like if that ghost Alexander, is always yeah. there. Um, well, we'll see. That'll pay off too. Yeah, that's a, that's a big quest in the end. Yeah. I promise. All the loose ends. That's actually up. Luke Skywalker force projecting is. Yeah, that it. Well, so you know, like we have an IP deal. It was supposed to be a secret, but now that we've broken NDA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But th- thank you guys for hosting us. Yeah, appreciate it. Oh yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. And thanks for everybody. This is actually our bonus episode because we're between se- our season one and season two, so. This is uh, just sort of a little extra thing that we're putting out into the universe for you guys. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back when Season 2 starts, which I believe is in December. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye.